Good morning. Today's um, scripture is coming from Mark 6, uh, verses 35 through 44 from the Common English Bible. Um, I invite you to follow along. Um, Late in the day, his disciples came to him and said, This is an isolated place, and it's already late in the day. Send them away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something to eat for themselves. He replied, You give them something to eat. But they said to him, Should we go off and buy bread worth almost eight months' pay and give it to them to eat? He said to them, How much bread do you have? Take a look. After checking, they said, Five loaves of bread and two fish. He directed the disciples to seat all the people in groups as though they were having a banquet on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up to heaven, blessed them, broke the loaves into pieces, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. <clears throat> Everyone ate until they were full. They filled 12 baskets with the leftover pieces of bread and fish. About 5,000 had eaten. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Casey, for reading the scripture. Let's see if this goes higher. God is good? All the time. God is good. All the time. Amen, amen. So we are continuing in our Mark series, and we are, uh, I'm trying to time this up with Lent and Easter uh, and the book of Mark. So if I skip uh, little passages here and there, uh, please, you can complain to me via email or call me or text me. Uh, uh, but I'll try to hit, you know, kind of what we missed in the chapter um, as I go through. But this is the famous feeding, one of the two feedings of thousands of people in the Gospels and in the book of Mark. And this is the first one. And uh, one of the main themes that uh, stands out to me um, in Jesus's miracle feedings is the concepts of abundance um, and scarcity. Abundance and scarcity. Um, you guys know what abundance and scarcity is? Abundance mentality and scarcity mentality. I just want to flush that out with a couple of examples. Um, uh, back in the late 90s and the early 2000s, I did uh, campus ministry at the University of Washington and uh, at the University of Washington in the U District, there's a street, University Way, but it's called the Ave, right? I don't know why they call it the Ave when it's University Way, but the Ave is where there's all these restaurants, a diversity of restaurants, some of the best, uh, you know, and obviously it's cheap food because students go there, so, and there's a lot of ethnic foods. And uh, so I would go there and eat all the time because cheap and a lot. But through the years, if you've been to the Ave and eaten on the Ave, you've known that there's a lot, been a lot of transition, right? Restaurants have come and gone, and in fact, I was there a year ago, and I couldn't believe it was completely different than how I remember it. There is even a Target there. There's like, I think there's an H Mart there, there or something, or something like that. Uh, 
and I was just amazed at what was on University Way. But one of my favorite places to eat back then was Pho, right? So Pho Tan Brothers. And if you've been in Seattle for a while and you know eat like Pho, you know that there's a lot of Pho places, right? There's a ton of Pho Vietnamese noodles Pho places. But anyways, to make a long story short, there are Pho restaurants came and gone, came and go, came and go. Uh, but Pho Tan Brothers, um, it's now a chain. So there's uh, Tan Brothers all over the place. Um, but they still, I think they're still there and they have their spot there and they're still very popular. And they, there would be like two or three other Pho restaurants right on the app at the same time, but they'd come and go or they wouldn't do as well. And my friend and I started talking about like, why does Pho Tan Brothers do so well? compared to the other pho restaurants. And maybe some of you are like, pho tan brothers, that's like so 10 years ago. There, there's way better ones. And yes, there are way better ones. But at that time, it's because every time you go, they give you a cream puff, right? At the beginning, not at the end, but at the beginning. And I would always eat my cream puff at the beginning. And then you would order uh, a small or even a medium, and the small would be humongous. Right? And it was like, at that time, it was like $4.99 or something like that for a small or a medium. And they'd be like this huge and it'd more than, you know, fill you up. And my statement to the other person is, was maybe cost-wise, they take a little hit by giving more and providing that cream puff. But people like it. Like, it draws the people initially because there's an abundance mentality. Right? Because you get a lot. And sometimes when people are, you know, it's a competitive environment and people are trying to get a competitive edge and need to think about costs, they cut costs, right? Like, I need to make money so I'll make less noodles or provide less broth or cut out on the cream puff. But Tfa Tan Brothers, lots of noodles, lots of broth, big bowls, and the cream puff, abundance mentality. So that's my example of abundance mentality. And in the restaurant business, my philosophy is restaurants that have an abundance mentality will, will, uh, will last, are the ones that will last in the end because it draws people, invites people. You're not cutting out, you know, kind of cut corners or cutting out of resources, but you're feeding people. And so... That's the draw, and then later you can rise, raise the prices when there's that demand, right? So that's abundance mentality. Scarcity mentality, growing up in an immigrant Korean-American home, I don't know if other cultures experience this, but I would visit other, my friends, my Korean friends' houses, uh, and in our house, and you'd always see this odd thing. And the odd thing is remote controls that are covered with plastic saran wrap or the furniture the nice new furniture in the living room there's always a living room or a separate room where all the furniture the coffee table is covered with plastic and that's because the mentality is there protect the new stuff protect the tv protect the remote control protect the furniture and we would never be able to sit actually sit in the furniture and so i would always ask my parents and uh my friends parents like 
Why do you cover it up? We never use it. Like, what's the point of having things if you're not going to sit on it? But it's to preserve the newness, right? And every so often, once in 10 years, like, you take off the plastic, and when they're special guests, they'd sit, right, in the couch, right? But everything was to preserve the newness, to protect so that there wouldn't be any wear and tear. And so that's my example of a scarcity mentality, right? You keep things new, you protect things, you never use it, right? Because you don't want it to be ruined, right? So scarcity and abundance. And so in our passage, in the feeding of um, the thousands here, um, I think we see in the kingdom of heaven that the mathematics or the economics of the kingdom of heaven is different than the math and the economy of us, of humans, right? Jesus's math and Jesus' economy is different than ours. And we tend to move through life maybe struggling with our faith and trust in the provision of God, amen? We struggle through life, especially when times are hard or resources are a little thin, it's really hard to have an abundance mentality, right? It's really hard to share uh, generously or do this or that, right? When, we, you know, when we're low on cash or one of us doesn't have a job or we're in the job search or you know, we have extra expenses because of illness or something ha- the house, you know, there's a hole in the roof, right? Then we, cut co- uh, we, we tighten, tighten our purse strings, right? We don't spend as much on coffee or even giving to organizations and our generosity because we're, we're preserving ourselves. We do not just with money, we, we preserve ourselves with our energy and time, right? When we're busy, when we're tired, when we're working hard, it's like, oh my gosh, I need what? Boundaries, I need my boundaries. And here comes someone who's very needy or who's going to ask me something or who wants my friend who wants to have coffee with me and I've been avoiding them and avoiding them because I don't have enough time. I don't have enough bandwidth. I don't have enough space. I don't have enough emotional energy to be with them because we see things in terms of uh, we have a limited amount of energy, right? We have a limited amount of resources. We have a limited amount of space. And so we begin to protect that space. And don't get me wrong, right? Boundaries are really good. And uh, preserving ourselves and self-care is really good. Taking the Sabbath, right? Uh, watching out for your time. But what, I'm, what I want to say is that against that, the kingdom of heaven has a whole different math and economy when it comes to hey, you think you have this much, but really, in God's eyes, there's an infinite, right? We have an access to the infinite, right? And, and the places where we kind of count our beings when it comes to resources or it comes to energy, God wants to come into that place and say, I can make that into so much more. Like, don't, don't bodyguard for me, right? Don't pro- self-protect Right? Don't take things into your own hands and kind of dole out things when there's so much more that's available to you. That's what I'm talking about here. The kingdom math, kingdom math is different from our math. And 
that should challenge us. That should challenge us to lean in more with faith or take opportunities to depend on God. That in situations where if God doesn't show up, if God doesn't provide, we're just not going to make it, right? That's the dangerous life of faith, right? That's the dangerous disciples' life is we go trusting that God will provide. If he doesn't, we're going to land flat on our face. Amen? Um, so the five loaves of bread and the two fish. Last week, uh, we looked at the early part of chapter 6 in Mark. And we talked about how Jesus was in his own hometown, right? He was preaching in his hometown and trying to do miracles and heal people. But he was, the scripture says he was unable to perform miracles because of the lack of faith he found there. And Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. And it wasn't because Jesus is not capable of performing miracles or capable of doing whatever he wants in a place. It's, it's that because people weren't in a place to receive, Jesus was unable, did not do any healings there, right? And, and then he sends, right after that, he sends the disciples out to other towns in the area. And he says to them, what, did he, what does he say to them? He says, um, go out, take nothing for the journey except a walking stick, no bread, no bags, and no money in your belts. And he told them to only wear sandals and not, and not to put on two shirts, just one layer. Imagine going out there right now with one layer. Uh, this is a desert place, but anyways, one layer, only one <laughs> layer of two shirts. Um, so we make this connection between the two instances that Jesus was unable to heal and perform miracles because of the lack of trust and faith in his own hometown. But then when he sends out his disciples, uh, there's a connection of trust in that Jesus sends them out with limited resources, stripped down with the bare essentials as a test of faith and dependence, right? You can't depend on this or this or this or that. Just take, just go Go simply and trust that God will provide for you. And he also gave them authority to cast out demons and to heal. And so they were dependent on the power of God and the resources of God to get them through their itinerant, right, going from town to town, right? And they were dependent, actually, on the, na on the neighbors in the town to house them and, get, and provide for them shelter and food. And so th this is the life of dependence. And this is what we're trying to get at here. I think Mark 6, there's that theme of dependence, right? Living the simple life of leaning on God's provision versus leaning on our accoutrements, the accoutrements of life, like the things that help us to feel secure or things that help us to come into the world with competence, with performance, with, you know, things that we can carry. Um, so there's that, con that connection, the test of faith and dependence. So now on this day, I think Jesus is giving another test of dependence to his disciples. Um, so in verse 30 of chapter 6, it reads, The apostles returned to Jesus. This is after their ministry in the towns. They returned to Jesus and told him everything they had done and taught. 
They were excited. They were, it was a testimony time. When we were in this town, we healed these people and these people, and the power of God moved so powerfully. Like, I can't believe it. Even John was able to cast out a demon. Like, John, right? He, even he had the authority to cast out demons. And God came and showed up so powerfully, right? If God didn't show up, the people would just chase us out of their town. But they received us, and good things happened. So they were telling all these stories, and they were excited. And many people were coming and going, so there was no time to eat. There were the crowds. Like, when they were leaving the towns, crowds just kept following them, right? A group of people, it's like, if you've seen the movie Forrest Gump, he runs across the, you know, the country, and he looks behind him, and there's these crowds of people that have just started running behind him. In the same way, there's these crowds of people that are following Jesus and the disciples now because all of these amazing things are happening, right? And, but the other thing that I thought about is, man, I know for me, after a long weekend of ministry or going to a conference, when I was in campus ministry, going to one of those winter conferences, on Monday, what do I want to do? I want to shut down my computer. I want to shut everyone out. I want to rest and recover. And I imagine that the disciples are feeling this. They're finally arrived back home. Even the scripture kind of implies it. Many people were coming and going. So they didn't even have any time to eat, right? So Jesus said to the disciples, come by yourself to a secluded place and rest for a while. They departed in a boat by themselves for a deserted place. Let's get away. Even Jesus is saying, let's get away from the crowds. Let's go on the boat and let's go to a secluded place. Let's rest. And they're finally like, oh, yeah. Finally, I get time to play, you know, Super Smash Brothers with Peter, right? Like, I, we get to rest and we get to be swinging in our hammocks and, like, enjoy. Maybe read, some, have some of what? Some me time. Some me time. The disciples are tired. They've just come back um, from a journey of ministry, right? They've shared all that God had done to them, and they're weary. Their bodies, uh, they're physically tired. And yet it's like, how do we, these crowds are following us. We can't even eat. How do we shake them? Like, get away from me. I never feel that way, actually. I always love people to come. And... Anyways. And Jesus had... Uh, anyways. Um, <laughs> um, so, and Jesus had said, let's come to a solitary place. Right? But then the story shifts. The story shifts. And it says... Uh, the people... No, they're going across the lake. And so they run. They run ahead of them to get to the other side to receive them. And I can imagine the disciples rowing, going to rest, and they see the people on the other side of the lake, and they're going, no! <laughs> right? Like, finally, finally, we had some rest, and now there's more. There's mobs of people over there. And what do they say, right? This is an isolated place, and it's already late in the day. 
Send them away, Jesus. Send them away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something to eat for themselves. Right? There's even more of a justification. Send them away because they're hungry. It's dinner time. They should go because this is an isolated place. The next town isn't for like 10 miles. They got to hurry up or else, you know, they'll get low blood sugar and like bad things will happen for their health. They need to get something to eat. Send them away. They need to take care of themselves. And what does Jesus reply in verse 37? Jesus replies, you give them something to eat. No! 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 I think of the scene in the old Karate Kid, the original Karate Kid, where Daniel-san is training under Mr. Miyagi, but he hasn't been training yet. He wants to learn karate, but they haven't been teaching that, right? And so, <laughs> so he has him painting the fence, right? He's painting the fence, and so he paints this one section, and it's late at night, and he's like tired, and he's like, Mr. Miyagi, like finally, I've finished, I've finished. And uh, Mr. Miyagi goes, not this paint the fence, whole paint the fence. And it shows, it pans over the whole yard and right, all the fence that's left. And that's the feeling, right? When Jesus says, you feed them, they're like, the whole fence, right? There's way more work to be done. I know you're tired. I even promise, let's go to a solitary place. But now you feed them. What? What? Boundaries, Jesus! Right? Me time! What happened to the rest and relaxation? What's going on? What? Um, our math is not kingdom's math. The math of the kingdom. Our economy is not the economy of the kingdom of heaven. They responded to Jesus, but they said to him, should we go off and buy bread worth almost eight months' pay and give it to them to eat? Like, in order to feed them, we'd have to have eight months' worth of money. We don't have that. You want us? They're doing the math in their head. Right? We can't do it. It's not, it's not feasible. And he said to them, well, how much bread do you have? Take a look. And after checking, they said, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. He directed the disciples to seat all the people in groups as though they were having ba a banquet on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up to heaven, blessed them, broke the loaves in pieces, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. First of all, again, Jesus' math is different from the math that the disciples are doing. He asks, how much bread do you have? They say five loaves and two fish. Right? They're expecting him to be like, okay, yeah, send them out. Like, we don't got it. But he said, instead, he says, okay, have the people sit down. Have the people sit down. And they sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. So these are whole congregations of people. Sit them in a group of 100 and a group of 50. 
and, until, and there's thousands of them, right? The second thing that I noticed in here is that um, he took, it says he took the five loaves and the two fish, right? He received them. He didn't say, what? That's it? Like, that's measly. Like, I can't do anything with this. That's all you got? Right? He receives what they had. And what a message to us. Right? When we think about what we have to offer God, what we have to offer Jesus, what we have to offer other people, what we have to offer the church, we often say, but I only have two fish. Right? I don't have any gifts. I don't know how to do anything. I, I don't have the resources. I don't have the talent. I don't have the time. I don't have the ability. I only have this. But you know what? That's our math. That's not God's math. Jesus receives what they have. And Jesus receives what you have. No matter how small or insignificant you think it is, Jesus will take your two fish. Jesus takes it. Right? It's our job. Our job isn't to make something magnificent happen, right? Out of our own talent, out of our own capacity. Our job is to give to Jesus what we have. And Jesus multiplies that, right? Jesus does something with that. Are you with me, church? Uh, The second piece is that he looks up to heaven, he breaks it, he blesses it. And he gave it to disciples to set before the people, right? So, Jesus, just like Jesus could have taken himself off the cross, right? Jesus could have just went, right? And all the food could have ended up in all the 5,000 people's hands right there, right? It would have saved a lot of work, right? No, but Jesus splits it. And gives it to the disciples, and they hand it out to the people. So what does that mean? That means that even though Jesus could just zap and do it himself, Jesus partners and works with the disciples. And the disciples actually do the physical work of serving people. Mm -hmm. Amen? Right? In the same way, Jesus partners with us, partners with people to serve and love on other people. Jesus has the power. God has the power to go zap, 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 right? And fix every problem. But God uses people, right, to love people. Amen? And so what does it mean for us to say yes, to receive, to give to Jesus our two fish, and then to receive back what Jesus has and to offer it to people, to physically meet people where they're at, to to touch people, to love on people, right? To invest in people, to spend time with people. Our math is not the same as kingdom math. Jesus's economy is different than our economy. God's calculations are not our calculations. His ways are higher than our ways. The next point 
I wanted to bring up is that verse right there. Um, he has them break up in the groups and seated all the people in groups as though they were having a banquet on the green grass. That's verse 39, right? Be seated in fields of grass. And that immediately kind of harkens Psalm 23, right? What many of your favorite, many of you all's favorite psalm might be Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? He lays me beside still waters, and then what? He makes me lie down in green grass, green pastures, right? He restores my soul, right? That's the other piece here is the scriptures, and, and Mark is pointing to the fact that Jesus is the good shepherd, right? And it's no accident. Jesus is our good shepherd. And he cares for us, right? He, he leads you beside still waters. He makes you lie down in green pastures. He could have sent you up, them off on their own to go, go figure out food for yourself. But it says in this passage as well that Jesus saw all the people and they were like sheep without a shepherd, right? They were like sheep without a shepherd. And because Jesus is the great shepherd, when he sees sheep without a shepherd, everything in him, there's nothing else I can do but shepherd, shepherd the sheep, right? He has compassion on his people, right? He can't, just like, you know, my mom, I know that her love language is filling my belly, right? Even though she might not say, I love you, David, and write poems to me with words, I know that her love language of making food and making sure I'm fed, that that's her love language, right? In the same way, Jesus is like, man, I need to feed my sheep. Right? This is, I can't let them go without me loving on them. I can't let them go with an empty stomach. He restores our soul. Surely goodness and kindness shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's, in that psalm, it's such a picture of abundance. My cup overflows. Right? He fills my soul. He renews my soul. Right? That's what God does. God isn't wanting to take away from you so you starve, right? God isn't wanting you to have like scarcity, like take away your cream puff and like half noodles, right? And no extra meat, right? God is wanting to fill you and give you the best and provide for you. He knows what you need and there's compassion God has compassion and love for you. Do you believe this, church? And sometimes our theology is off. We think, oh, because I've been half righteous, God is going to provide half, right? <laughs> provide halfway for me. Because I haven't been good, that's why I'm not getting good things, right? Or I've been bad, so I'm not going to ask for anything, right? I'm not going to come to him because I'm in the doghouse, God's doghouse. <laughs> 
But that doesn't, that's not how it works. Right? We know the Syrophoenician women, and also in Mark, which we'll get to later, she says, even the crumbs, right? Even the crumbs that fall from the master's table is enough for me. Even your crumbs, God, is, the, is like enough to fill me to the fullest, right? God's abundance is more than enough for us. And God always gives to the fullest, always gives an abundance, even though in our mind, we have little to offer, we have little resources, we don't have a lot, right? This story is about everyone was fed to the fullest, and then what? There was left over. There was even more. God fills, and there's even more. Amen? God fills, and there's even more. And I know it's easy to preach this, right? And you guys are like, but that's not how it works. Right? Really? Really? Does following Jesus mean abundant life? Really? I'm not sure. Because that's not what I've been experiencing. I haven't been feeling that lately. Maybe a lot of us haven't been feeling that lately. Amen? Um, but my challenge to us is to depend, to trust in God, to lean in, to lean in, to say, God, I can't do this. Sometimes I have the prayer of, I, you know, like, you just don't have the words to pray. You're just like, right? And I call it the prayer of whatever. Like, I'm fighting with my wife. I'm not getting along with Isaiah, right? And things are going bad, and I'm stressed, and I don't have the words. God, will you just, right? Get on my knees and go, God, all this, I call it the prayer. And just sit there, yeah, 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 right? And then receive, right? And then things start to happen, right? Like whatever wall that was between my wife and I, suddenly gets lifted and we're able to speak again with one another. Like, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't have the strategy to get there, to the softness of intimacy again, but God lifted it, right? Or I have this moment with my children, you know, we've been fighting all week and we're able to connect. And it's like, man, I didn't, have the ability to make that happen mm -hmm. but because I lifted it to God he came in abundance he gave us food and fish to make that relationship go mm -hmm. right those are examples we have a scarcity mentality because we fear death we fear that we won't survive we fear we don't have enough organizations operate out of this right churches operate like this governments operate with a scarcity mentality and when we're on tilt when we have that scarcity and that fear of death we start making bad choices that hurt other people right but when you live out of abundance abundance is living with a vision for life right 
of fullness of life. And you're saying, man, I, I know that there is enough and I'm not going to mistreat people, right? Because I don't, because I need to protect myself. I'm going to live with a vision for life and that there's enough, that there's enough for you to live and for me to live and for them to live to the fullest without taking from each other. That's abundant life. Are you with me, church? When we live out of scarcity, we, we tend to want to take, tear people down and take from one another. Jesus satisfies. So my question to us is this. Have you brought your little to Jesus? What, is, what are your two fish? And have you brought that to Jesus? How can you serve even when you don't feel you have enough or you feel tired or it's just enough to take care of yourself and yours, your own family? Have you brought your two fish to Jesus? And I understand you guys, right? While this is a great opportunity to talk about serving at Renew and bringing your five loaves and two little fish to serve on Sunday, there's a lot of kids' ministry that needs to happen. I'm not going to do that, right? Strike that statement from the court, right? I said it without saying it. Anyways, um, it's, 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 it's kind of like how we don't do offering up here, right? We know that God provides, right? We know that, man, if we lived out of a scarcity mentality, oh, we don't have enough to people for worship. We don't have enough people for this or that, right? Then we'll start using people, right? We start mistreating people. We start forcing people. We start faking the funk, right? And people can smell that stuff, right? Oh, man, they're using me, right? So we, at Renew, we've always, that's kind of been our foundation. Like, we always kind of, like, yes, there's need, but we want people to come and be, meet Jesus before they serve, right? Before we ask them to serve. Like, serve out of what's happening in you. So, we don't necessarily ask that, though there's a need. There's a lot of opportunity. But I want to emphasize that we are the church out there, right? We're renewed by God for the renewal of our neighborhoods, right? And we are the church out there. We are the disciples in our places of work, in the community colleges, in the marketplace, in our neighborhood associations, in our co-ops, right, and our PTAs, right, and all the little soccer teams that our kids play on or whatever clubs, gym you go to, right, my, cross, my new CrossFit cult that I'm a part of. Like, it's a whole community in a cult, like, and I feel them sucking me in more time, more time, and I'm like, eh, okay, right? <laughs> What does it mean to love, to bring our two fish into those situations? Like, I know this is my math. I'm like, I have this many relationships that I'm investing in. I do not have the mental and emotional space 
to add more friends or relationships. Like, I just can't. And then here comes that annoying person that always wants to talk to me. And my heart's like, oh, run away, run away. That person at work, right, that, like, talks forever or wants to, like, suck on you, vampire person, right? What does it mean to, like, give them one or two minutes, your two fish, to listen, really listen to what they're saying and, and to care for them or to offer to pray for them, right? Like, give your two fish because God can turn those two fish into a full banquet. And you'll be amazed. We'll be giving God glory for how he multiplies what we have for loving people, for changing lives, for making a difference and an impact. Are you with me, church? Say yes. yes. And amen. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways that you care for us and feed us because we are your sheep and you are the good shepherd. And we trust that in our daily lives, you will provide for us when we're sick, when we're tired, when our kids are sick, when we, our budget is sick, when we're sick and tired of work, when we're having a hard time, our bodies are frail, our bodies are tired, we have emotional tiredness, and it's enough to just get out of bed sometimes. You fill us up. You give us good things, and you restore our souls. So help us to trust in you, our good shepherd, not in anything else, but in you. And then, Lord, give us the courage and the vision um, to live with abundance and give whatever we have, the two fish, the small piece of us, to get offer up to you, um, to the people around us, uh, that we can see and give glory to kingdom, the kingdom's economy, as you multiply what is small into something much more. We pray for abundant lives in this place, in this church, and as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen.